Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Are we losing Canada? Brian Lee Crowley is the founder and managing director of the McDonald Laurier Institute, and he'll join us to discuss his latest article on just that. What are the key takeaways from yesterday's provincial budget, and how can we stop foreign powers from undermining democracy? It's all coming up on the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. There's an interesting piece here, an essay that was written. It's called Losing Canada. The author is Brian Lee Crowley. Brian is, of course, the founder and managing director of the McDonald Laurier Institute. His most recent book is called Gardeners versus Designers, Understanding the Great Fault Line in Canadian Politics. And he joins us here on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about that. Brian, thank you for the time. Glad you could be with us this morning. Bill, thanks so much for the invitation. Uh, it, I, as I was reading this yesterday, I was thinking about it. This is really almost a recap of, of what we've been feeling, I think, for months now. I know that uh, the foreign interference and the uh, the alleged uh, interference be, by the Chinese, of course, is something that's front and center with us right now. But there have been questions about Canada's participation on the global scene uh, for quite some time now, probably dating back to the, well, the war in, uh, in Ukraine when that started and Canada's commitment to that, um, and maybe even preceding that a little bit. It was, was this all behind your, your motivation to actually write the piece? Yeah, you know, Bill, what I was trying to get at was, um, you know, it's, it's not free to be a, a, a contributing, uh, important, reliable member of the International Alliance of Democracies. You know, this is an expensive proposition, not just in terms of money, but in terms of commitment and energy. And w- what I was trying to describe in the piece was all the ways in which Canada has withdrawn from that commitment, become a less reliable ally, become, become someone that other countries, our friends, the United States, Britain, Australia, Japan, and so on, uh, when they're thinking about their security, they never ask themselves anymore, you know, will Canada help? Because they think Canada's become irrelevant, because we don't have the capacity to help. And I wasn't just thinking in terms of uh, military uh, capacity, although that's a terribly important part of this. I, I was talking in this piece about the way so many of our institutions have lost the will uh, to defend Canada's interests. And I think this election interference uh, issue is the one that's really brought this home to Canadians. So if our if our democracy is compromised, if when the evidence of our democracy being compromised comes out and the RCMP, for example, does nothing to investigate it, but but they do investigate our intelligence agencies for telling people that this problem exists. Uh, uh, you know, institutions at every level uh, have become, uh, I, I think, unreliable. And that means that we as a country have become unreliable for our friends and uh, unreliable as, you know, a, a country that can pursue the, our interests as liberal, a liberal democracy in the world. And, and this has been something that's been going for quite some time. I mean, we've done segments on the program, really, I guess, over the last year and a half, two years, uh, about uh, you know the cooperation, I'll use that term loosely, uh, between uh, Chinese scientists, actually military scientists, uh, working at Canadian universities on research and development, uh, in some cases for weaponry. Uh, they're an adversary, and that just didn't seem right. Uh, yet it continued for quite some time. It's still continuing. Uh, I think the provinces are finally getting wise to the fact that maybe we shouldn't be funding these sorts of things. But what at what point did we let our guard down and just figure, no, that this everything's going to mm. be fine here? Well, 
you know, in the piece uh, that we're talking about, uh, I, I call this a slow motion defection. I think it's very hard to point to a specific moment when, uh, you know, we kind of uh, turned uh, uh, away from our traditional commitments to our friends and allies. Uh, but uh, I, I'd say it's been going on for decades. Uh, I, I'm glad you mentioned what's going on at the universities. I think this is a very important example. Uh, you know, in the United States, as as America has become more and more aware of uh, uh, Chinese attempts to sort of subvert or suborn our, our 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 institutions, they have started to say to researchers wanting to come and work at American universities, "Sorry, we're not going to give you a national security clearance. You can't come and work here." Those very people who are being refused entry to the United States to work as researchers at American universities are being welcomed with open arms at Canadian universities, and those Canadian universities have open relationships with their American counterparts. And, you know, uh, the, the, the Americans are sort of looking at us and saying, so, uh, okay, is Canada now becoming a home for fifth columnists that are trying to damage the interests of America? This is a classic example of the way that we're not taking seriously the fact that we live in a dangerous world and there are people who do not share our interests and indeed are actively engaged in trying to undermine them. Think about the, you know, we still, no one will tell us the story about what happened at the infectious diseases lab in Winnipeg, where it's pretty clear from the little we know, there were scientists at that lab who were sharing information, secret information, confidential information with Chinese authorities, including military authorities, but no one will 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 tell us what happened. So you know we've got uh, uh, government labs, we've got universities, we've got uh, our our military underfunded. We've got the you know the RCMP refusing to investigate uh, uh, important allegations of uh, corruption of our democracy. Uh, the the rot, uh, I, I think, Bill has has really started to become apparent to everyone. Well, and you touched on this in the piece, too, and I think it's important to remind our listeners about this. I mean, you mentioned about our involvement with the five eyes, and that, of course, is the information gathering. And it's it's basically so it's it's a, a group so we can stay together and be on the same page about uh, threats to, to our sovereignty, etc. Uh, and I'm hearing stories. As a matter of fact, Phil Gursky, who used to work for CSIS, uh, has written a couple of essays about this uh, based on his experience and also some of the folks he's talked to. Uh, the Australia in particular and the UK, and I'm assuming the United States, have at one time or another called out Canada and said, look, you got to step up your game here, guys. Uh, you know, when, when you're here at the table, you're not you're, you're pretty good at what you do, uh, but you're letting us down. And it's at the point now where, as you say, can we really share confidential information with our partners in the Five Eyes if we know that, that in some way, shape or form, it's going to get leaked to our adversaries? Yes. Well, the Five Eyes uh, uh, Alliance, uh, which you've mentioned, is a terribly important one for Canada. It is the most intel uh, important intelligence sharing agency in the world, because, as you say, it brings together the intelligence agencies of the five most important English speaking countries, uh, the United States, UK, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. Uh, uh, there are many other countries uh, that are part of the, you know, alliance of liberal democratic countries that would love to be part of the Five Eyes Alliance. Uh, they've never been able to get in. Canada is there because of, you know, the contributions we made to the Second World War, our strong stand uh, during the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera. But 
that investment that we made early on that won the confidence of our allies, that gave us a chance to participate in this important intelligence gathering uh, operation. Um, now our partners are looking at us and saying, we're not sure that you know your behavior today justifies your membership in this alliance today. What you know, the past is gone. Uh, what are you doing now? And uh, when you compare, for example, what Australia uh, and the UK are doing in terms of upping their game, in terms of uh, investing in the defense of the interests of the Western alliance in the Indo-Pacific, in the face of China's rise, they're spending billions and billions of dollars to improve their defense capability and to stand up to China. And uh, Canada uh, is barely able to make a pretty modest contribution to the Ukraine conflict. We send uh, an important uh, number of troops to Latvia, but uh, it, it's not a large contingent. And now, you know, uh, our top general says, yeah, if you ask us to do a police action in Haiti, I'm not sure I've got the troops to do it. We are stretched thin and doing very little. So uh, I think it's quite normal that our allies might say, you know, Canada, um, A, if there's a conflict, we're not sure that you can contribute much to it. And B, we're not even 100% sure you'd be on our side. Now, I, I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that we would be, say, on China's side if there was a conflict. But uh, what I'm saying is that our institutions are so compromised that we may not be able to act at all. And that's uh, that's just the worst possible position to be in. Well, a couple of things about, uh, and I, we may have been lulled into a sense of security here, a false sense of security, I guess, uh, because there were a number of attempts by Canadian governments over the last number of years now uh, to try to you know, increase economic ties with China. It's, it's you know going to be the largest economy in the world. We need to have some sort of a relationship, yada, yada, yada. Uh, but they're flexing their muscle again. And just as Russia is with Putin, of course, in, in, in Eastern Europe. Uh, with what's going on, so I mean, you know, the you know the the curtain has been pulled back. We know what they're all about, and I know that you, know, you mentioned in the piece about AUKUS too, Australia, United Kingdom, United States, uh, with that partnership in the Indo-Pacific area, Canada wasn't even invited to that, uh, and to sign on or even to any of the meetings, uh, and that's a very very big issue, I think, for for the people that are looking at what's going on globally right now. So my question, I guess, uh, Bruce, is the president's in Ottawa today, and the the, the they're going to have some closed-door meetings at some point, just the two of them, I'm sure, with their, their key staff members. i got to figure that this whole thing that you've written about here is going to be part of the conversation. Well, there's no doubt that China will be on the agenda. And uh, uh, the United States, you know, everybody thinks that there's uh, that uh, it's open warfare politically in Washington, that the Democrats hate the Republicans, the Republicans hate the Democrats, and, and uh, there's a lot of truth to that. There is one area, however, where there is cross-party consensus in Washington, and that is that America must stand up to China, that China is attempting to bully its way to the head of the queue uh, in the community of nations. Uh, it doesn't care about international rules and uh, the institutions that we've evolved to, uh, to make military, you know, brute force uh, not the factor that makes, uh, you know, that determines the outcome of uh, international disputes. Uh, and uh, America has been busy trying to rally the other members of the liberal democracies in the world uh, to make the investments in capacity, military, diplomatic, uh, 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 you know, educational, uh, to make the, the investments that are necessary 
so that China knows that we take them seriously and that we will not allow them to boss us around. Uh, and uh, Canada has been very, very slow to the party. Uh, has been, uh, well, just, just think about the time it took us finally to get around to buying uh, military jets. We've been talking about it for uh, literally 20 years. Uh, and even though now we've decided to buy them, it'll be another decade or more before they arrive. And that's, that's just emblematic, Bill, of the way in which we're fumbling these decisions over and over again. And America, uh, in, the, in the person of Joe Biden, I'm quite sure is going to be sitting down at the table with, uh, with, um, with Prime Minister Justin Trudeau and saying, Mr. Trudeau, uh, you know, job one in Washington right now is to make sure that we uh, in the West are ready to face up to the challenge of China. And I don't think that you are getting the message. And I'm here to ask, is Canada going to be part of the West response to China? And to be perfectly honest, if uh, Trudeau's uh, response is the same response that he's giving in Parliament and elsewhere to questions about uh, Canada's relationship with China, I think that President Biden will go away completely dissatisfied with Canada. Well, it, it, that's the reality. I mean, we already know that China's flexing their muscles in the South China Sea, which is why AUKUS was formed. Uh, they're establishing a presence in the Arctic, for heaven's sakes, too. And, you know, the, if... <laughs> As, as we've said in the program before, it, you can't just say that's, you know, uh, this is sovereign Can the Canadian soil. You've got you to gotta stand up for it. And, uh, and I know that's what the allies and our allies have been asking us, and I think heating. And maybe maybe we're moving, but it's, as you said in the piece, uh, at glacial speed. You know, we, we, yes, we have made a commitment to increase our, our presence in NORAD, uh, not to the extent that the United States wanted, but at least, you know, it's a move in the right direction. You know, we got to put our foot on the accelerator. I guess that may be the message here, that, it, you know, if you're going to be in the five eyes, if you're going to be in NATO, uh, that there's a responsibility there, too, that the world is a more dangerous place than it was five years ago. Well, it, it is a more dangerous place, Bill. And the fact that all these uh, new organizations in the Indo-Pacific, uh, AUKUS, uh, the Quad, which brings together uh, Japan, India, Australia, the United States, uh, these, these are, this is the new architecture, the security architecture that the liberal democracies are putting together to respond to China. And the fact of the matter is, when they sat down and said, okay, who's going to do this? Nobody even thought that Canada wasn't at the table because Canada has become an irrelevance. And I, 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 I'm just one of these uh, old-fashioned people who thinks that, uh, you know, liberal democracy is the most important uh, gift that the, the West has given to the world, uh, that we benefit enormously from living in one and that we have obligations to our fellow liberal democracies to uh, take the time, the effort, the energy, the money uh, to make sure that our interests as liberal democracies are defended against those who want to threaten them. And China and Russia are, um, you know, putting together uh, a coalition of authoritarians opposed to the success of the liberal democracies who don't want the rule of law internationally. And Canada has traditionally always been willing to put itself on the line to make sure that people like that don't succeed. And I'm sorry to say that we've fallen so low that it's not at all clear that the other liberal democracies who are preparing to meet that challenge think that Canada has become irrelevant.
Well, we'll see what happens with the meeting between the president and the prime minister today. And uh, certainly, I know, as you mentioned, this is going to be on the agenda. And we'll see if there's any commitment there. Brian, always a pleasure. Thank you uh, so much for uh, taking some time with us this morning. I really appreciate it. But the pleasure was all mine, Bill. Thanks so much. Take care. Brian Lee Crowley, uh, founder and uh, managing director for the uh, uh, McDonald Laurier Institute. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We're giving billions of dollars for the city of Toronto. We're giving hundreds of millions of dollars to all these other large cities, but they can't just waste taxpayers' money. They have to be responsible. We're going to go in there and do an audit, and that's what people expect. They don't mind paying the taxes as long as it's not being wasted. We're, we're going to always be there to support them, but what we need are homes to be built. More homes, more revenues up to the cities. That's uh, Premier Doug Ford, of course, uh, yesterday after uh, the Ontario budget was uh, introduced in the Ontario legislature. And uh, the gentleman who did it is uh, going to join us on the program right now. This is the Bill Kelly Show, 980 CFPL London, 900 CHML in Hamilton. And uh, we welcome the Ontario Minister of Finance, Peter Bethlenfall, will be back to the program. Uh, Mr. Minister, thank you on a busy day today. Appreciate you taking some time for us today. You bet, Bill. Great to be with you again. Peter, if we could, let's talk a little bit about what the Premier was just talking about there about housing, because it's, it's been a key element of, of what you and the Premier and others have talked about for the last little while. Uh, we need more houses. There's a lot more people coming in here because of the immigration numbers. That's a good news story. Uh, but the projections that you talked about yesterday uh, lend a lot of people to believe that maybe we're not even going to reach those those goals that you have set for yourself. Well, what's your read on that? Yeah, first off, uh, Bill, those were private sector forecasts that didn't reflect our plan. Um, and the uh, the various measures that we're taking to to build those 1.5 million homes. So so the housing supply action plan, the Bill 23, which is expanding the plan and uh, working with municipalities. So it's important that you know we have a plan and a and and that is not reflected in there because it's an absolute necessity that we achieve this goal. You know, people are coming to this great province, as you mentioned, and they're coming like 440,000 people just in 2022. That's a massive increase, 15.4 million people almost. So where are they going to live? And on top of it, how are they going to get to work? How are they going to get their kids to schools, health care, subways, public transit? So, you know, this is a critical piece of our vision to, to build Ontario. Um, it's important that we continue to focus on uh, the economy and, and really good jobs. You just saw the announcement for, for Volkswagen, uh, the largest auto manufacturer in the world, building a battery manufacturing plant right here in Ontario. They, they could have gone anywhere. First big First time in Canada, they came to Ontario. So we can uh, we are very committed to to working with uh, the private sector, municipalities, the federal government to build those one point five million dollar uh, sorry one point five million homes. And yeah, if we don't do that, they will be one point five million dollars. They have to be affordable and attainable for everybody in Ontario. You mentioned about uh, about revenue streams, and uh, uh, you know it's the best of times and the worst of times. If I can quote a famous book, uh, the, you know the worst of times is because we've got inflation and high interest rates, but that means more government revenue. I mean, sales taxes are up, so that you've got a few more dollars to play with than you had anticipated right now. This, some of the critics, and I'm sure you've heard them over the last 12, 15 hours or so, Mr. Minister, have said, look, that's money that you should be dumping into some of these other programs and instead of in the contingency fund. $3.9 billion, uh, I, I, as, as they say, yes, we have to have a contingency fund, but couldn't some of that money have been better spent and allocated in other places where we still need a great deal of help? 
No, we are doing it. I mean, let's let's be clear. Uh, an investment plan, fifteen billion just in healthcare over the next three years. So that's the money that pays our doctors, our nurses, our personal support workers. Uh, that transit plan of over seventy billion dollars. That's what's funding uh, more transit in Hamilton. You know, right across the province, more highways. Uh, that's a plan that uh, that we're responsibly doing to build Ontario, to build our economy, and 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 support the workers in this province. But I wouldn't be doing my job, Bill, if I didn't have, out of a $200 billion budget, uh, $4 billion uh, set aside for uncertainties. You know, we're, we're in very uncertain uh, economic times, uh, geopolitical forces. I mean, things are happening, and it would be imprudent of me not to have uh, some reserves and some prudence built in. Um, so that's important to do. Uh, because we, you know, your crystal ball is no better than mine, and and so we have to be prudent and responsible as we manage the finances. But let me tell you, I believe Ontario's economy will be resilient regardless of the environment that we're in. Except the uh, the experts, and I'll put that in in air quotes if I could, Minister, <laughs> uh, are saying there's going to be a slowdown. Uh, you know, probably not next year, but maybe into late twenty four, twenty five. How do you how do you plan for something like that? That that is something that seems to be on the horizon. We don't know how soon it's going to hit, though. Well, you know, we have private sector forecasts that we embed in the budget, and we 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 be haircut a little bit to be a little bit more conservative. So, for example, in 2023, our our economic forecast is for GDP to grow by 0.2 percent. So that's not exactly robust. Now, uh, will it be higher than that or lower than that? I don't know. That's why I put out in the budget scenarios. You know, a slower growth scenario, a faster growth scenario, and that's why I have contingencies and prudence and reserves. So. Uh, I can deal with uh, various situations that come up. Um, but what I can tell you is you've got to make sure you invest for the long run, uh, not just a one budget and done. Uh, we got to continue to focus on the economy because I go around the province, Bill, and what people tell me is they, they want economic stability. They want good-paying jobs. They want uh, uh, bigger paychecks. And, you know, it just doesn't happen overnight that you get a Volkswagen, for example, coming to this province, creating, creating jobs, bringing risking capital in this province. It comes because we've been cutting red tape. We've been cutting the cost of doing business, over $8 billion a year in Ontario for businesses. We're, we're lowering taxes. We're making it, uh, we're training the skilled workers, the, the construction people and the advanced manufacturing people that will be in these plants. Uh, we're working with uh, the labor unions, the private sector labor unions, like you've never seen, building training centers, putting uh, retraining facilities in place through the Skills Development Fund. You know, we got to do all these things. And, you know, Ontario used to be the economic engine of Canada. You know, with Premier Ford and our team, we've got a great team. We are really driving, I think, a great economic vision and plan. And that's what that budget was about yesterday. And and we all stand to you know the the transportation stuff and and you're right I mean the the public transit that you've committed to for the city of Hamilton uh, seems to be moving it's glacial speed but it seems to be moving forward uh, but that's that's something that needs to be dealt with that's another topic but one of the criticisms here that I'm hearing from a number of mayors uh, and a number of people that have contacted me over the last uh, 24 hours or so is they were looking for some help individually I mean, like, like you know we're in an affordability crisis as we talked about at the beginning of our conversation interest rates are ridiculous. Inflation is still a killer. I mean, cost of food these days is outrageous. And uh, they were th- hoping maybe, maybe you know, with some of the money, the extra revenue, that maybe there'd be a tax cut. I know that for low-income Ontarians, you've already done that. You've increased that in disability. We get that. And that's that's a great idea. Uh, but, you know, Mr. Mrs. Middle Ontario here, we're looking for a little tax relief or maybe something to, to get them out of this crisis here. And they, they don't seem to think that they've got anything out of that yesterday. 
Well, you know what uh, really helps with that is uh, uh, growing jobs and uh, bigger paychecks and uh, a stable economy. You know, it's uh, understandable why people are very nervous about the the environment. You 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 know, you see uh, Russia and the Ukraine. I mean, that was over just a, under a year over a year ago that that happened. We've mm-hmm. got banks uh, around the world that are, are 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 having some struggles and. You know, when we look at Ontario, we're an oasis of stability. We're an oasis of freedom, democracy. People want to come to Ontario. And uh, what I hear from a lot of people, invest in our health care because you can't have a healthy economy without healthy people. Invest in uh, good jobs. Train us up. Health care, education, uh, skilled trades, construction. And let me tell you one last thing. The mayors, the big city mayors, cha- chaired by Bonnie Crombie, representing the largest cities in, in Ontario, 70% of our population, you know what their number one ask was? Supportive housing, help the homelessness, and help with mental health and addiction. And we've delivered in spades for that because that's part of helping the most vulnerable people that uh, need need support, whether they need some more money in their pocket or they need a home or they need uh, wraparound supports, we're there for them. Uh, and yes, we've heard the same positive comments about that as well. And I know that uh, both Hamilton and London have had some concerns about that. And those councils have been very vocal about that. Uh, the other element of also, that you're also hearing, of course, and to, to do with some of this legislation, especially uh, with some of the revamping about getting the homes and the housing that, that you were talking about here, uh, is new legislation which, which many municipalities say is going to put them at a great disadvantage uh, because of development charges. They're not going to be allowed to be uh, levied anymore as they have been in the past. Do uh, you didn't address that yesterday. I know that's a point of contention between your government and, and a number of municipalities like that. Where, where do you see this going? Well, you know, I was with the Premier the last three days, and uh, he addressed it. I continue to address that Steve Clark, our Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, have addressed that. First off, we have a plan. We have a target of 1.5 million homes. We're going to work with the municipalities. And with regard to the development charges and funding, you know, that's for affordable uh, housing and purpose-built housing so that we can help people who need the most amount of help. So, that, so we're going to have uh, discussions with municipalities. They've got to do their part. We're going to work with their numbers and audit their numbers together. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, it's in their interest of the municipalities to have more, more housing because that increases the, the tax base. And so that allows us to fund the services. So I think uh, we have an obligation to work together. We have an obligation to, to stretch for, the, uh, for, for helping uh, everyone in Ontario uh, be able to afford a home, because uh, that's the dream of, of, for many in this province, and we're, we're committed to, to delivering on that. Uh, Minister, I know you're doing the media circuit today. It's a very busy day for you. Uh, we'll have to leave it there for the time being. I look forward to further conversations, though, as uh, some of the uh, uh, legislation to back this stuff up uh, filters through. But thank you so much for spending some time with us this morning. Always a pleasure, Bill. Thank you. Take care. Peter Bethlen Falvey, the Ontario Minister of Finance. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. When it comes to a democracy, this is what we should all come together and protect it. And this is not what I'm seeing from the Conservatives or the Liberals. And that's why we're positioning ourselves to say a public inquiry is the right way forward to protect our democracy. Uh, NDP leader Jagmeet Singh uh, speaking in the Commons, uh, and by the way, went further on in that announcement to say that uh, he's not going to bring the government down uh, and uh, because of the uh, the foreign interference uh, accusations that are being made. So uh, that's that's his ground on this, but it, it's part of a bigger picture. And and I, I don't blame an awful lot of Canadians right now if your heads are spinning because of all the stuff that's going on these days. You know this. 
foreign interference thing started off as, as a kind of a ripple and you thought, okay, fine. Yeah. And we've talked about a number of different aspects of it. Um, early in the program, we were talking about, uh, you know, the, the conversations about universities uh, hiring a number of, uh, of, of, you know, Chinese scientists to work alongside Amer Canadians and Amer Americans won't allow that anymore. Anyway, it's growing and growing and growing and, and raising the question uh, about just where this is going and how extensive it has been and how effective it has been, because it's something they're doing in other countries, not just in Canada. And uh, to that point, uh, we're welcoming John Wright uh, to the program to talk about this. John, of course, is the president of my Republic Opinion. Uh, John, a pleasure to have you on the program. Thanks so much for this today. It's always great to be with you, Bill. Let me ask you, first of all, with the president here, Joe Biden, who will be addressing parliament a little bit later on this afternoon, and, and I know when he got elected, there was a sigh of relief, I think, generally on this side of the 49th parallel saying, thank God Trump is gone. Things are going to be better between Canada and the U.S. So, you know, we're going to go back to the good old days. Uh, but according to your polling here, a lot of Canadians are still pretty skeptical about that relationship. Well, you're right. Um, I think when I see that 30% of people think that the relationship compared to where it was five years ago, think it's it's worse than it was improving. That's 23%. That by the numbers, you get almost half saying that it's the same as it was. What's interesting to me in all of that is that I think it, it means that Canadians are naturally wary of some of the issues in the United States. It doesn't just come down to personality. It comes down to policy as well. So when we look at the United States, you know, we might feel a slight in some ways when the president uh, and his government may not be as attentive to some of the issues that we've had to deal with, such as the uh, crossing over at uh, Roxham Road in Quebec of the immigrant population uh, who've come over there, the ref you know claiming refugee status. I think there's just some people who, regardless of who's in the office, are going to think that it's not a great relationship and it's not going to approve at any time. So um, not surprisingly, having done the polling on both sides of the border, uh, more Americans think that we're better, you know, that the relationship is better. But then you have to discount it by saying that Canadians are probably much more in tune with the United States issues and the United States is in tune with any of ours. So they we're pretty benign to them. Yeah, I, I think there was a feeling, you know, like you know, now, uh, now Trump's gone, and you know Joe's a nice guy and a you know, great reputation. We all know, of course, when he was the vice president under the Biden or the uh, Obama administration, he's going to get rid of all those tariffs and he's going to get rid of this, you know, buy American protectionism stuff, and we'll get along. And you find out, no, he's not going to get rid of it. But he's he's been preaching that for like twenty five, thirty years in his in his political life. So I, I think we kind of looked at this a little naively and just said, you know, everything bad about the states was because of Trump. Uh, the, uh, the, the buy America and, you know, the protectionist policies there, it permeates the Congress, doesn't it? It does. And I think institutional memory on this is so important. Um, yeah. you know, a lot of people listening to us today might say, well, you know, thinking back five years or 10 years, this is the way it was. I had the benefit of having left the Ontario legislature as a parliamentary intern and eventually ending up at a public affairs consulting firm almost 40 years ago, if I can say that. And so back in 1983, as an example from this poll, I'm able to say, look, I remember when the United States wanted to test cruise missiles in our north. Yeah. And I remember the type of pushback there was. It wasn't just from the NDP and the liberals at the time, but significant numbers of people in the in here to a majority said, no way, they're not coming in. They're not going to test it. Well, nowadays we know what um, what cruise missiles are about. Um, it, you know, Brian Mulroney allowed it to take place, and that was a, an important 
thing for our country at the time with George Bush Sr. But fast forward to this poll, we have 64% of Canadians who said that they'd be willing to have U.S. missiles on Canadian soil to defend against, you know, attacks perhaps by the North Koreans and others. This is remarkable how that pendulum has swung on so many different levels. So while we may see ourselves as, I'd say, you know, engaged partners, people who on one side may be more benign than others are wary on the other side, there are some aligning of interests, and particularly as you started to talk about off the bat, almost nine and 10 on both sides of the border want to stop any interference in our elections or our democracies. And, but the difficulty is how do you do that without exposing all kinds of other things? And how do you manage it when, as we're seeing in this country, allegations without attribution are being made that are costing people their political careers. Um, and there's no way to fight that. And it's an interesting conundrum where we have a democracy, but we have, you know, the, our, our level of, of secret, you know, spy police uh, who are leaking things to the media and costing people their jobs. And, you know, this is a conundrum where democracies have to be very careful, but, um, you know, we're seeing it on both sides of the border now where people want something done about it, but it's very difficult to traverse. Well, and I guess part of the concern here, that, and that's why I think the numbers are so high in the polling you did here, John, is we're left in the dark about this. We don't know for sure what's going on. Uh, you know, even the anticipation about the Mueller report, about Russian investi- uh, you know, involvement in, in U.S. elections, you know, half the report was redacted. I mean, well, it wasn't that, but I mean, it was very frustrating. You see, you know, pages and pages of blacked out, and you say, I wanted to get to the truth, and we can't do that. And, you know, when, when there are leaks like this, you know, some person's whistleblowers and another person's traitor you know i mean you, you, we don't know what's going on because we don't have context well that's um that's right we don't have <laughs> pardon me we don't have the ability to talk about these things in an open forum the united states has an interesting thing when you as you know i mean you have house intelligence committees which mm-hmm. have uh, under oath people who can sit in a room that's a bipartisan nature, discuss these things and get to the bottom of whatever needs to be done. But they're they're sworn officers that they can't disclose certain things and they can't do other things. I don't, you know, we do have a committee that used to exist. I don't know if it's it, it works now. But I mean, this is where you get members of all parties sworn in as privy counselor officers who are able to do this in a forum that ensures that Whatever we know and release publicly might even benefit our detractors, benefit the enemy. So we don't want to be involved in that. What, what happens if, if we have a public inquiry and it turns out that either the FBI, as they've just intervened in a circumstance with us in Canada to you know, go after a, uh, an alleged terrorist in, in uh, Quebec, what happens if some of that information comes out in the public domain that one of the five eyes being, you know, England or the U.S. has supplied us with information, then it jeopardizes all of those things. So part of this is the mechanism that we need to have. And I think that lies now at the fault of the government of Canada. There were other ways through this, and there were other ways to bring people into the tent without jeopardizing those type of sources. But Bill, you and I can't have a secret police force in this country who's actually not allowed to do stuff in the country. They can only do it outside, you know, leaking stuff all over the place to the media. And I, I understand that Han Dong, who has been 
you know, the center of this, uh, the member of parliament, the liberal member of parliament who's now sitting independent is going to sue the Globe and Mail. Well, that's not, what good is that going to do? Because if you get into court, they're not going to be able to disclose a whole bunch of stuff anyways. Mm-hmm. We're now, you know, into this. And I think it's a very troubling circumstance. Well, sure it is. And, you know, and to your point about, about he suing the Globe and Mail, uh, you know, they're making a big deal about Katie Telford, the, the chief of staff going up there. You, you're going to get the same answer from her. You know, the, 99% of the questions they're going to ask her, she says, I can't talk about that. It's confidential information. So, you know, we're, we're not going to get down there. You know, the, it's not that we can't handle the truth. It's that we can't find the truth. And I think that's why, I, according to the numbers of the polling here, I, I think there's a connection of the dots here that uh, we want, you know, we're not against the idea of, of teaming up with the United States when it comes to missiles, even on our property and our land, et cetera, because the world's a more dangerous place and we don't know why or where it's coming from. Uh, so we're basically looking for some security here, I guess. Yeah, I think what we're all looking for is assurance. We're looking for assurance that in this country, we have people who are looking out for our interests. And I have to say that our interests are not being served by leaks into Canada's national newspaper, you know, so that we all have this big conversation that goes nowhere or simply becomes a political football. The Again, I, I put this at the feet of the prime minister. Um there are mechanisms that may be missing or need to be re- resurrected where we need assurances from all of the parties to come to the table and say, look, we have members who are on a committee who are involved in this. They're sworn privy council members. They have access to circum- to, to information that, that the public, we can't reveal, but we can assure the public that we are investigating and that we're all going about it, you know, in a, in a thorough way. I haven't heard that. I haven't heard anybody bring it forward. And I think as a Canadian, as opposed to somebody who just follows public affairs, I'm demanding that um, because I'm concerned about it when, again, as I said, this may be a, a, a police force, which we do have, that that may choose to do similar things at a later date that could cost journalists their jobs or their livelihoods or other people. And there's no way in which you can fight a fog. So... Right now, we need a mechanism, and I'm not sure having David Johnson, the former you know, governor general, doing this is the right answer. What we need is something that's more like the House Intelligence Committee in the United States, where they're all involved from all parties, and therefore they bear a mutual responsibility. Well, I'd like to think that's the direction in which they're going to go, but uh, we don't see any indication of it yet. Uh, you used to be able to reach across the aisle in politics. Now they just throw hand grenades across the aisle. So I don't know if we're going to get there. John, got to run. We're just about out of time. Uh, thanks, as always, for spending some time with us. Have a great weekend. A pleasure, Bill, and you too. Take care. John Wright, who is, of course, the executive vice president of Maru Public Opinion, who did that survey. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.